fair bit of pain and uh, it's a big disappointment. I came into the corner, it wasn't like we were going too fast or anything like that, but I just remember I locked the, the back wheel up and uh, and that was it. The next thing I was heading for the, the grass verge on the corner. And Hello, thanks for joining Cycling Journals on the Road. Well, good afternoon from Vera, a small village near Perigo where the Tour de France will restart tomorrow with stage 10 on Tuesday. We've passed nine days of the Tour de France to reach this first rest day, today Monday. We've been through some big ones already, including Marcel Kittel's three wins and the day Mark Cavendish crashed and Peter Sagan was disqualified. But stage 9 Sunday was by far the biggest. Robert Gissink crashed and abandoned. Garrett Thomas crashed and abandoned. Richie Porte crashed and abandoned. Rafa Micah crashed, and today we heard that he has abandoned the, the 104th Tour de France. Thomas went home with a fractured collarbone and could have surgery already tomorrow. Port, who we heard from at the top of this podcast, remains in the hospital. I'm joined from Rupert Guinness from the Sydney Morning Herald, my traveling com- companion and a good-looking guy in his, in his uh, Hawaii his Hawaii 5.0 shirt. That's right, good call. It's actually a nice little number. It's a, it's a blue number with a little bit of orange in there, little insignias there. It was actually made in Bali. We're, of course, in the 2017 Tour de France. We're, we're in a garden here of uh, this uh, little uh, house, uh, Maison, run by a Dutch family here in uh, we're basically east of Bordeaux in the, in the uh, how do you say it, the Limousin region department? Yeah, yeah, we're in the Limousin. Limousin? That's close there, Gregor, but we're in the Limousin. And as you said, we're sort of uh, in the uh, central west of France. We're going to start veering towards further southwest towards the Pyrenees, to the foot of the Pyrenees in the next three or four days. Okay, so we heard from uh, Richie Port at the uh, top of this podcast. Of course, he won't be continuing with, with us in the next three or four days. He has hopes uh, of just recovering from a, a fractured pelvis and a, and a fractured uh, collarbone and, and trying to trying to recover from that and return before the end of the 2017 season. I don't think I'll be back on my bike for a good while now. I think the team's good with that, that they say, you know, just recover. There's no rush to come back. Yeah, hopefully I'll uh, pull the BMC jersey on by the end of the year. Rupert flew in to Dusseldorf uh, already over a week ago for the start of this Tour de France from Sydney, Australia. I think he had a layover. I remember I remember those texts uh, from Singapore. From Sydney through Singapore to Dusseldorf for the start of the Tour de France to see, to follow Richie Porte and, and the rest of the riders in this Tour de France. Uh, Richie Porte set, I think, was it fifth overall? Fifth overall before uh, before the crash yesterday and he was around 39 seconds back. You know, Rupert's giving me the nod there, 39 seconds back. <laughs> Uh, Rupert, of course, follows Richie Port closely. He was doing a diary with him every day. I, hopefully, we'll get a, a couple diary updates from Richie just to see how things are going along before this Tour de France ends. Rupert, what is the latest on Richie Port? I know he sent out some messages today from the hospital uh, sh- from Chambry, where where yesterday's stage finished, and where Richie Port unfortunately still remains in the hospital. And could we see him racing before the end of this season? Uh, that's a good question, Gregor. Because I mean, uh, first up, it was great to see uh, Richie. Uh, in, in, one, he's in safe hands and good hands. To considering the circumstances, I, you know, in the video we've seen of uh, of of him speaking, he seems to be in r- relatively positive spirits. And um, the circumstances yesterday, the video of him crashing, which was nasty. Oh yeah, that was that was horrific. It was something that really, um, you know, is one of the worst crashes I've ever seen in 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 the uh, 
30 years of uh, covering this race. and uh, 29 Tour de France's. Yeah, 29 Tour de France's. <laughs> we clarified the other day in the, in the cycling journalists on the road video, uh, we had some fun there. Yeah, it was horrible. You stay in the press yeah. room. They had just gone to commercial break. They were on the descent, mm. uh, on the descent of the Mont du Chat. And uh, so we were kind of, you know, jumping up to go to the, the, the bathroom real quick, uh, taking that last break before the hectic final. And then all of a sudden we hear at the front of the press room where they always keep a live TV going. We hear, shoot, shoot. And that's the, yeah. the scariest word in the, in the, in the press room. What do we do, Rupert? We all ran up to the front to see what was going on. And it looked bad at first. Mm. Yeah, it, I mean, it did look bad. Look, I mean, it was, it, was, it was worse than bad. It was horrific. And, and it, was, it was just this once as the, the speed of the crash. It wasn't the speed of... That he was racing at, there was, I mean, it was it was clocked at seventy-two and a half kilometers per hour, but it was like the 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 speed of where he lost control and suddenly bang, and then he got catapulted across from the left to the right-hand yeah. side of the road, and then there was the impact of him hitting the um, embankment on the on the side of the mountain there. That was the point that really you know really horrified me. Um, it, it was a similar sort of ricochet that uh, we saw the end of Walter Weiland in the in the Giro d'Italia from left to right. Well, Ron, uh, I think you just probably uh, just said what everyone was thinking at that yeah, time. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not rocket science to say that's what, what a lot of people would have inherently feared at that precise moment. Uh, fortunately, uh, it was not that. And it was such a relief that, every, you know, to see Richie move. And we heard later that he was conscious. And then even as Fabio Baldato... Some raindrops out in the garden. <laughs> and even Fabio Baldato, the BMC sports director, you know, he was saying he was... When he managed to get there, he was looking over and... And then Richie Port was uh, asking for his helmet and his glasses, which I understand that uh, the, the race doctor later said uh, she was asking, you know, he was asking for those and then said because the sunglasses are very expensive. Yeah. So he's on the path to recovery. He's still in the hospital. I guess it is, is TBD to be determined on how bad his pelvis is. We all know with a collarbone, that takes about six weeks to fully to get back into action, to race action. But the broken pelvis, that a fractured pelvis, that could be... Garrett Thomas raced the 2013 Tour de France on a, with a broken fractured pelvis. So it kind of depends on the, the severity of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and obviously, you know, what Garrett Thomas did to ride that, that tour with a broken pelvis was... Yeah, absolutely phenomenal, you know, and, and although bear in mind, um, they needed Garrett Thomas to ride that, that tour, although I understand he, 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 he wasn't his greatest, most performing tour because he was injured. Give him a break. Give him a break. <laughs> no, I am, no, I'm just saying, I mean, I mean so it, what, it, it brings to the question, you know, if someone does have a bro broken pelvis, you know, what is the point of actually racing them? I, I, my hunch right now, without having you know insight into into what Richie plans for for the future going down the track but uh, I think that uh, BMC will be best served by they've just re-signed Richie just before the tour and they'll be best served just getting him healed up as well as possible and make sure that he is as healthy and 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 as strong from his recovery as possible, basically to relaunch next year. It would be nice to rate that he races again before the end of the year, because I think it would be great for him to try and sort of finish the year on a positive note with, with, a, with a nice race, whether that's uh, a couple of those Italian uh, semi-classics and then the, uh, you know... Your favourite, your favourite, the Giro da Lombardia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, look, you know what, you just never know, you just never know. I mean, some people have suggested the Vuelta a Spaniard. I, 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 I suggested it. You did, okay. I mean, that would... I don't know if that if, if yeah you know, it's still too early to say what he's going to do. It is. It is, and that that's a TBD to be determined. There, how, how much of a setback was this for Richie Port's grand tour, dream of winning a grand tour? History will tell whether it was a setback or not. 
I mean, it was a setback. History will tell how much of a setback it was. I, I do believe he was in a prime position, and he was even showing on the Mont de Chat on the climb that he was, you know, he, he was racing superbly on that day. You know, he he launched two attacks, and he also there was one little surge he made during that period. He was also able to match um, the attack by Chris Froome. Yeah, he looked the most lively, yeah. didn't he? He looked the most alert, the most lively, and also the most assured of. Chris Froome's challenges. Okay, we keep coming back to Chris Froome, who's obviously in the box seat to win this Tour de France, and uh, he showed that yesterday as well. I think that Richie still has a lot, so much more to offer into the Tour de France history. It's interesting to note, just out of from an Australian point of view, you know, uh, Cadell Evans raced six tours before he won his Tour de France, and each of those six, he was a team leader. He, you know, we saw him go from eighth to fourth, two seconds, yeah. and then he finished 26th or 28th or whatever for a couple of years, where people started thinking, would he ever win the Tour? Probably not. And then he did. He was one of the oldest winners. He was one of the oldest winners. Richie Port, who is 32, but he's actually quite young in his race, sight, age. race, race age, a former right. triathlete and yeah. swimmer. He started cycling only in tw two th when he was 21. This is this year's tour was the first tour that he has ever done as the outright leader of a team. Last year he was co-leader, and for four years he was with uh, Sky as uh, wingman to, or you know, as a domestic, super domestic. And before that, with Alberto Contador in 211. Team Saxo Bank. Cadell Evans was one of the ones to uh, reply to, to Richie Port's uh, sad uh, tweet from the hospital there with his, his uh, lunch or breakfast. It looked miserable. And we, we had, I had a plate of pad thai. Rupert had a, a, a salad that, that uh, long, alongside the lake there today and with a glass of rosé. And Richie Port stood fifth overall yesterday morning. Um, Thomas, Garrett Thomas, stood second overall and seen as a possible pack backup plan for Chris Froome. Had he had a problem, he's not here anymore. Uh, Port was seen as a possible winner to the 2017 Tour de France. Did the tour take a big hit yesterday, Sunday? Well, I think it took a massive hit. You just, you know, obviously, Garrett Thomas not being there was, was a massive loss. Richie Port, uh, Port not being there now is, is a massive loss. Dan Martin, who was in that crash yeah, with Richie, yeah. um, the fact that he, he's still in the race, fortunately, but he uh, he lost a minute, and even though he, he had another crash, um, one would suggest that if he hadn't have had that first crash, with that crash with Richie Port, um, which Richie Port, there was a collision between Richie Port and Dan Martin, but there was Richie Port's crash that led to Dan Martin's crash, um, that Dan Martin would still be up closer in the fray and now we've only got like three riders within a minute of Chris Froome whereas I believe we could have had five riders within a minute of Chris Froome and the dynamics of that would have been massive. Chris Froome to cover while those other five riders are all trying to vie for whatever spots they can get whether it's a podium or even the victory Chris Froome would have to cover all those now he has less Two less riders to cover with three uh, is, is, a, is a massive change for him. It's much more comfortable for him. He can do that. He's done that before. But for five, it would have been a really exciting yes. tour coming yes. up. Chris Froome leads the race by 18 seconds over Fabio Aru. We have uh, Roman Bardet, the Frenchman, at 51 seconds in third place overall. Rigoberto Ren, who's riding a surprising Tour de France. Uh, the Colombian at 55 seconds. Uh, he, he jumped from 11th yesterday to now fourth overall. Jakob Fulsang, who is now 1 minute and 37 seconds back in 5th overall. So yes, we see 4 riders within 1 minute of Chris Froome, where before we had Garrett Thomas as a backup player for Team Sky, and we had Richie Port up in there. So I mean, what now? We have, we have Fabio Roux, who 
was a Vuelta España winner, is a Vuelta España winner from the 2015 Vuelta España, the Spanish Grand Tour. We have Roman Bardet, who's been up there before in the Tour de France, finished second overall to Chris Froome last year, who hasn't looked on form form, formissimo yet this year, but he could come into some sort of super form in the next few few weeks, we would hope, and make a race out of this Tour de France. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, we've seen in so many tours how that third week sees uh, sees some riders, Grand Tours, go absolute balls up the wrong way, and uh, but some riders just come in super strong. And I believe that will, I, I, well, maybe it's hope rather than belief, because I guess we've also seen tours where you know the overall race leader, in this case Chris Froome, has a really strong position, and they end up. Uh, still winning the tour and becomes a fait accompli and we all go oh my god you know here we <laughs> why did we ever believe in the hope but you know what why we believe in hope is because it is a sports event and we've seen as this tour has shown how so much the unexpected can happen not that i anyone would wish for the unexpected that has, has affected other riders campaigns such as crashes would happen to chris Froome, but we'd love to see uh, uh you know a rider or a couple of riders come on really strong in the last week not just in one day i don't like seeing it when it happens one day and then uh, and then you don't see it happen again but i just like to see some consistency of development of of performance uh, and it's not necessarily by wins it's just have seeing some strong rides and um and then seeing building confidence and form right. over time well, because we have some big stages to come yet. Of course, one big mountain summit finish in the Pyrenees coming up. And of course, two big ones in the Alps. And the third week going over Galibier and the final mountain, the big summit finish stage, never before used, the Isoward summit finish. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider reviewing them in iTunes. It will make them more visible to others when they search. And become a supporter by making a donation. You can send money via PayPal to this email, gmarone at gmail.com. That's G, M as in Mary, A, R, R, O, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward, at gmail.com. It's listed on our Facebook page, along with the other donation options. You're listening to Cycling Journals on the Road. No, io non l'ho visto perché io stavo attaccando, volevo attaccare abbastanza da lontano, poi ho visto che, eh, che insomma non, non facevo così gran differenza, poi dopo ho sentito alla radio che Funzi era fermata, non avevo, non avevo visto in quel momento che, che aveva avuto un problema meccanico, non ho, visto. Poi, ho sentito alla radio, infatti mi sono son fermato, poi, ah, quando, poi quando ho sentito c'è fruma 10 secondi mi sono fermato. We just heard from Fabio Aru, the Italian, the Sardinian, winner of the 2015 Vuelta Espana and team leader of Astana in this Tour de France. He explained how midway up the Mont du Chat, he had not seen Froome raise his hand immediately before he launched his attack. Froome said he was too worried about his bike problem to notice Aru. Rupert, does the rider have to follow the unwritten rule not to attack the Maillot Jean, the yellow jersey in such an instance? Or should we even be talking about this issue and should a rider be free to attack when he wants? One of the big you know, essence of this debate is about unwritten rules and laws in cycling. They have existed for a long time. I know that a lot of people now are saying, oh, this is some modern, new age, uh, unwritten law. I mean, there's been unwritten laws since, since the day that there's been a patron in the peloton. Yeah, because we've heard so much of this fair play. This fair play has been so popular, trending lately. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but I think that's also just uh, um, the fair play is just a new... Um, 
dress dress up on on what is basically something that's always existed. But in this instance with with Aru, you know, hearing Aru's explanation and seeing the video, or well, seeing it live when it happened to begin with. I mean, my first impression was that, oh my, you know, this yeah, he he blatantly did it. Okay, hear his explanation, and then you start to wonder, well, gee, if if he didn't see Chris Froome put his hand up and. And he may not have known what it was for. It could have been, I needed another drink bottle or I'm feeling tired. Maybe if I put my hand up, this will yeah, force yeah. situation. I mean, it's yeah. a valid argument. I mean, we're talking about cutthroat sport, whereas, you know, we, we joke about marginal gains, etc. I mean, what is what, what is the essence of, of what you're looking for? If you're feeling really under stress, put your hand up. You could. I'm not saying this is what Chris Froome did. I'm just saying that you could do anything, like feign a, a, a flat tire. Because well, yeah, yeah. His, t- his teammate Fukusang uh, said that you don't know the same thing as what you're saying there. You don't know if he's having a mechanical or if he's if he's suffering a bit and he wants to take a bit of a break and and uh, use to his advantage the fact that he has the yellow jersey. And the the DS uh, Fafanov said the same thing. You know, the race is on. The race is on. The race is. Yeah. You know, it's a race. It's, it's a bit similar to when. Um, correct me the date. Gregor, but uh, was it 2.10 when um, when uh, Chaingate, you know, with yeah, Andy Schleck yeah, and Contador yeah. went? But the thing that, that got me about that year, when, when that happened, uh, at that precise moment also, Vinokurov, who was racing then, Alexander Vinokurov. Who's the general manager of Astana. Astana. He attacked then, and he seemed to attack with much more deliber- deliberation than uh, what Alberto was allegedly uh, accused of. Yeah, because that day is uh, Andy Schleck had the chain problem. I think also with Vinukarov was Dennis Menchov, yes. the Russian, they were attacking on that descent. And my thinking is, at that precise moment, is that Vinukarov attacked. And now what was Alberto... My, this is my thinking at the time was, and, and I still think it is my thinking now, when Vinukarov actually, I believe, attacked before Contador did. Now, Contador could have quite easily been uh, covering the move by Vinukarov rather than attacking uh, Andy Schleck. Well, what's so interesting about yesterday's move is, is not only did Aru, you know, he would have seen the yellow jersey because, of course, Chris Froome's in the yellow jersey, the famous Mayo Jean. Froome raised his hand as well, so there was several signs that things weren't right. There were, well, there was a sign that things weren't right because Froome raised his hand, but there was also the sign of Froome as Froome because he's in that yellow jersey. And Aru was behind and tacked it, looked underneath the armpit of, of uh, yeah. the Briton to, to launch his move. So he clearly saw it and wouldn't have won many fans doing so. Almost as interesting was the move by Froome in a, in a hair per, hairpin turn soon after Stage's key and final climb. He He's already been towed back by his teammates to join the group with Aru. And at that point, he swerves right, and Aru's behind him over to his right, and uh, is, is overlapping a bit. And Aru's forced to go to the right, almost to the edge, and he's clipping some fans along the way. What Was that payback? You know, there's, there's been denial. You know, obviously Chris Froome said he didn't notice that he was uh, that he was attacked by Aru in the first place. The nuances of cycling and the peloton, I, I you know, I think uh, in many ways a lot of this sort of stuff, the, the motivations behind actions. I mean, these guys are very good bike bike handlers, uh, and the nuances of how they handle the bike, I think they very much keep to themselves. And maybe we'll never ever really find out what people were really thinking in that precise moment. I do believe. This is in both instances, even going back to the Aru uh, attack on Froome, only they will know deep down and even the perceived victims will know deep down. And I don't think any of those critical key parties will ever... Um, for example, um, I don't think we'll never know. And that's what David Brelsford said too, and I put the question to him yesterday outside the Team Sky bus, that only Aru can answer the question if he was attacking 
uh, when he saw that Froome had raised his hand, or if it was like what Astana says, you know, they had planned to do this sort of attack as they did in the Dauphiné that worked so well. When they escaped with Fuosang Aru, uh, they had Richie Port and they had Chris Froome, and then they descended down into a little town before Chambry and won the stage with Fuglsang, and then went on to win the, the Dauphiné, uh, upset Bridgie Port. Yesterday's stage, of course, they went on to Chambéry for the for the stage finish. Uh, only a little add-on point I was going to say, Gregor, was just that, uh, you know, again, this is top-end elite modern professional sport, and I think it's fairly clear that uh, there's uh, the, the the edges of, say, fair play are very, very finite, and, and I think sometimes the... Interpretation will sway one way or the other, depending on on the on the language and background of of, of, of a cyclist. And I also think that um, you know uh, I, I think that we'll see in the coming days that unfold. Maybe we may get some clarity. I don't believe we will get some clarity, but it's definitely, uh, I'd suggest people who are following the tour in the next few weeks look at the body language rather than listen to the words coming out of out of the riders. I'll certainly be looking. Froome has had a long history with Astana. He had that incident on La Toussiere where he had a mechanical, I think his foot slipped out of the pedal or something, and right at that time further up the road, Nibley wasn't behind Froome at that point, so what, it's unclear if Nibley knew about it over race ready or not, but up the road uh, in that same group, Nibley had shot up and, and attacked. Mm. Now yesterday, Aru would have had the race radio, Andy would have had uh, the, the advantage of seeing Froome firsthand because yeah. it, it appeared that Aru was behind Froome when that incident yeah. happened. And of course, the incident into the finish, I think uh, Martin, Tony Martin won that stage mm-hmm. where there was an incident on that, on that small little uphill bunch sprint and Froome and Nibley locked up or had a little altercation. And then Froome... Yeah. Uh, instead of riding to his team Skybus, rode up to the team Astana bus. I was standing there outside the team Astana bus waiting for Nibali. Froome rode up to the bus as coolly as ever, leaned his bike against the Astana bus as if he was an Astana rider, got onto the bus, and what happened on the bus we'll never know, although we, we heard from uh, some sources that, that Froome may have uh, grabbed Nibali by the throat and, and began to, to, to start the strangle to death, but uh, yeah, uh, Nibali wouldn't say afterwards. I remember you, I remember that, that, that day, Gregor, and that was a fan, and that was a really good observation by a good story, a great story by. It's not a good story, a great story because of, of what the sport was about. I mean, yeah. nobody goes into some other rivals' team bus unless there's really something serious to go. No, to. you don't see that often. And I think Tyler Ferrer went into a lot of team bus uh, in recent years. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, and you remember when Alberto Contador went into the uh, bus of Lance Armstrong to supposedly give a uh, gift or something, or <laughs> you know, they, I mean, I mean, I mean, these guys when they do well, actually, when when they do it, they know people are watching them. But in this case, with uh, with with the uh, with Froome and Nibali when you saw him visit Stanabas. It's the team of Stanabas, sorry, yeah. Um, uh, when your mind slips late into the day and in, in, in the French countryside. But it is, you do get very relaxed out here. It does yeah. the, the, um, rain, the rain has just passed. It's, you can sort of smell the, the grass. The, the, the Maison here has some rosemary that's growing, some uh, thyme. It's very... Ron, yes. Gregor, Gregor, you look... <laughs> You're sniffing the rosemary too much. Um, to get back to my other point, what I was going to say was the narrative of the story. I know I said before, watch the body language, maybe not listen mm. to the words. But one thing that is certain, the narrative, uh, whether it's written or whether it's uh, what's been put out there on TV now or whatever. Um, the tour, as it goes into its second week with that Aru Froome story, there is the perceived good guy versus bad guy, Froome versus Aru. The only thing I would suggest is a good guy never assume that the good guy 
is always the saint and never assume that the bad perceived bad guy is the evil doer now let's have the final word go to chris Froome, who put out a press release today uh adding on to what he'd already said yesterday in the mix zone and and in a, an abbreviated press conference chris Froome said any suggestion that it was on purpose this he's talking about the swerve over towards fabio rue is just crazy first of all it's not anything i would ever do and i was already on my spare bike so to risk putting my derailleur into Fabio's front wheel, it is just crazy. I wouldn't risk that at all. Let's also hear from Chris Froome on the incident when Fabio Aru attacked. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really see what was happening at the front of that group. As soon as I dropped back to go and change the bike, I was too, too busy, sort of focused on trying to see where my car was and see where I could get a spare bike. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, from what I can understand, it was Richie who, who said to the rest of the guys, listen guys, this isn't the moment to, to attack the, the yellow jersey when, when he's busy changing his bike. So it would be interesting to hear what Aru has to say about yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so certainly ask him about it when I'm next to you. <laughs> what is interesting is they both explained that Froome had some sort of problem. Fabio Rue, I was at, I was standing and talking to Fabio Rue, and I asked him directly about this, and, and Fabio said that, that Froome had, had had some sort of problem and had lost balance and uh, needed to hold himself up, leaned on, on Fabio, and, and for that reason he apologized to Fabio for, for the incident. Uh, of course, looking at the television footage afterwards, it didn't seem like that was the case at all. And Froome also said that he, uh, yesterday in the mix zone that he has some sort of wobble as well and he did catch his up, uh, balance. So I, I don't know if, if Fabio and uh, Chris had kind of put together this story of how things had happened because if you watch the video, it doesn't seem like Chris at all touched any fans or, or lost his balance. Uh, Rupert, it could have been that Aru had realized his mistake and had been shaken by Froome's allies in the bunch, by Froome's move and a swerve, and he, and he was scared of, of the three-time Tour de France winner. Well, we were talking about um, patrons, weren't we, a little while ago? Yeah. We... So maybe, maybe this whole thing's, the whole PC political correctness of everything is... Uh, you know, we've had all this new terminology of everything that's happening there, but at the end of the day, you've got a patron there, Chris Froome. Who I, yeah, I think you might have scared Fabio. Might have scared Fabio. And internally within the peloton, they've sorted out what was right, what was wrong, and what happens in the peloton stays in the peloton. Fabio... Um, Aru. Raru, uh, <laughs> realised that uh, he was screwed so to speak particularly at that environment at that point when there's other so many other uh, all the other contenders were there and they knew who was the boss and Aru knew who was the boss Dan Martin told him right away to ease up uh, that he shouldn't mm. be an attacking he said he'd, he wasn't sure mm. maybe Fabio Rue didn't know that uh, Froome had the mechanical Simon Yates said Fabio Rue's excuse is absolute bullshit there yep. you have it I think Fabio Rude lost twice yesterday. He he lost uh, because he made that attack in front of the yellow jersey. No one likes to see that. It was it was bad timing. It, it looked bad for Fabio Rude to do so, and he should have just waited to attack because uh, he's he's going well, uh, perhaps better than he's ever been going. He could have made that attack shortly after Froome had his problem. He lost again by reacting the way he did. He should have just followed through with the attack instead of the finish. You know, it's free to attack. One's free to attack when he wants in a race. It's a bike race, just like uh, Foucault-Sang and his sports director said that one can attack when he wants. And then said at the finish, hey, had you guys seen uh, what Froome did to me? He swerved into me and nearly took me off the road and just gone on the offensive if he wants to win this Tour de France. If you were his press officer, his press manager, how would you have, have uh, managed uh, Fabio Rue? 
what would what would your your suggestion to uh, the Sardinia have been? My suggestion would have been uh, just oh, oh, it's a real heated one. Now you put me on the spot here, Gregor. No, no my my suggestion to to Aru would have been not to start looking for excuses, just to uh, yeah. put your hand up and take accountability. You know what? There there are times that uh, in the heat of the race. Um, we, will, we will climb up a very steep mountain at the end, at the tail end of 4,000 plus metres of climbing in a day. We're, we're, we're all under pressure and we don't necessarily make the best judgment calls at a time. I do regret my judgment call at a period of time and um, I soon after realised, obviously by the persuasion of other peers in the peloton, I probably should have, you know, the attack I was going to make, I still could have made that attack later. So, but he lost in both accounts. Yesterday. He lost in both accounts because he, you know, he one. Didn't do, he didn't do one. He didn't do the other. Yeah, he didn't do one or the other. And in the end, okay, he's uh, what second overall, but um, he's not going to expect any. Fa I don't think he should expect any favors from now on. I I don't believe though if he has a if he has a, a flat tire or mechanical issue. <laughs> you know what? I think the others will wait for him because that'll just actually reinforce. You know. I mean, you don't want to stoop yourself down to another level. I know there's plenty of people who, who say, hey, this whole thing about this is a race, this is a race. But yes. this, is, this is the standard that has been set at this current environment of the race. It's like any sports event. When, when there's a, a, a precedent set, that is the standard of etiquette for that particular event. Now, the standard was set with this debate, what happened yesterday. And if something else happens to another rider at that particular point, one would suggest that that that's, is what should happen. The race is the race, and Fabio, I mean, attacking right when the yellow jersey throws up his hand, uh, doesn't want himself any fans, and uh, was dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're free to attack when you want, of course, but why just why not just wait a minute? I think Fabio Rue just made a dumb call. <laughs> Well, he came to the bus. I mean, he looks as fresh as ever. He came to the bus smiling. He signed a. Yeah. He didn't go onto the bus before he warmed down. He came to the bus, and yeah. and uh, we were waiting there for him. And he was smiling. A big. He has a big smile, and he was he was joking, laughing about uh, signing an autograph for a little kid. Got on his train, started spinning down, and then told the story that you know he didn't know about what had happened to Chris, and then when he found out, he he decided to to slow up. Uh, Aru is an experienced rider, already overhauled Tom Dumoulin, the winner of this Giro d'Italia uh, a month ago. He overhauled him in the 2015 Volta España. Could he do the same with Chris Froome, or will we see Bardet challenge, or perhaps Nairo Quintana, the Colombian? We haven't talked about him, who looks so good in the past Tour de France's. Could we see Quintana rebound? Rupert, what's your take? Are we going to see Froome going in for the fourth victory in this 2017 Tour de France, or are we going to see one of these guys... Uh, Give him, give him a little bit of challenge. The old cliche is his race, his tour to lose. We say that every year for the last three or four years now. With the riders who are still there, the rider, I actually believe, has the most chance and will be willing to take that chance and be, will be willing to lose the tour to win the tour, another cliche, even to lose his spot at the podium. The one rider I think will be willing to do that is Roman Bardot. Yeah, he did, He made an awesome uh, descent. Yeah, he, he, he distanced he, the group for a while to catch Bargill. Uh, Bargill, yeah. Before the group caught all the Frenchmen. Yeah. And we had a uh, win by the Colombian yesterday, Rigoberto Aran. What a ride by Warren Bargill, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, he... Panache. Man, he... He really, Jesus, you know, that was that was a superb ride by Warren Bargill, and uh, you know, I'd suggest it was one of the best, greatest rides I've seen for a long, long time by an individual, and 
And these are Frenchmen to get behind. Both these yeah. guys are, are, are young guys that are upcoming. Uh, Bargill hasn't been as successful as Bardet. He's had some problems recently. Mm. Uh, Bardet's, of course, second last year to Chris Froome. Right ahead of Nairo Quintana, who finished third after mm. finishing twice already in the Tour de France. Yeah. Bardet's also uh, really... These are these are Frenchmen we want to get behind. And if, if you're Italian fans, if you're Sardinian fans, get behind Fabio Rupert. We're going to find out what's going on over the next two weeks. We have... Uh, <laughs> we're in our second... Our first rest day. We're looking down the road to our second rest day. Uh, I, I hope I hope the location is, is as good as the, as good as this one uh, where we have you know these sort of lawn chairs here and a, a green grassy field ahead of us <laughs> in front of the maison and a, a dinner that looks promising or next to that lake. Uh, Rupert, what do you have to say to close this one out? I just hope we, we, next rest day we're probably going to be at a campanile of the auto route. <laughs> Being told the, ki the, uh, the the kitchen is closed. No, 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 no. I booked this in a nice, nice little uh, maze on there in the small little village where all the teams are staying. So, Rupert, thanks for joining me on this podcast. It's always a pleasure, Gregor. Thank you for listening to Cycling Journals on the Road.